It's Monday, November 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday. We're hey, back. Hey. Yeah, well, here it is. We're back. We all survived. <laughs> we, we, we all survived Fullapalooza, our annual meeting. Uh, shout out to uh, one of our longtime listeners, Mark Johnson, who uh, uh, a few weeks back dropped off a very nice uh, bottle of Woodford Reserve, which made its way to Fulapalooza. We, yeah. we were out at Lansdowne Resort, where they've got a fire pit out, uh, and so a bunch of us after the after the dinner and after the party made our way out, and uh, we're we're keeping warm by the fire pit <laughs> with the help of a little Woodford Reserve. So thank you for that. Uh, we're going to talk about some things that happened while we were away, and we will talk a little bit about the election, which is happening tomorrow, but. But not in political terms. We're talking. We're going to be talking about the election in, in ways that we as consumers can benefit. Let's start with Facebook, though, because Facebook reported last week and shares were down about eight percent. And I guess it's because third quarter revenue only increased by fifty six percent and free cash flow only increased by seventy six percent. This was another monster quarter that we've. If we haven't gotten used to by now, we should with Facebook. But, and Jason, I'll just start with you, for the second quarter in a row on the call, uh, and, and thanks to our colleague John Rotanti for this, um, it's the second quarter in, in a row where Facebook came out and said, look, 2017, don't expect the growth that we're seeing this year. They, they, you know, and that, I think, I'm guessing that is what sent the stock down. Although, again, it's the second quarter in a row they've said this. This really shouldn't be surprised to a professional analyst whose job it is to follow Facebook. <laughs> no, I, I think um, every quarter for me with Facebook it more or less reiterates their understanding um, in the value in really, really big networks, and that's that's basically. I mean, they have the means to buy them, and so that's really a big part of the strategy. I mean, they have these really big networks in Facebook proper and in Instagram. Um, obviously, breaking up Messenger and WhatsApp, and so yeah, I think I, I think in, in shortest terms, the market's reaction was in what uh, was because of the call where they were talking about the fact that yes, these comparables that are, they're coming up on going forward, the growth is going to slow down, and I mean I think they even used in the call meaningfully, and and I mean the the, the problem is that. So, so whenever you use any of these any of these platforms on your phone, typically, which is where most people use them now, you're scrolling throughout your feed, and you'll see ads every once in a while. And the more and more ads they can put in, then the more and more they can monetize that. But they get to a point where there are too many ads in there, and it becomes saturated. So that's that ad load that they talk about. And so there's sort of a there's an ad load threshold where they don't really want to across and. And make it a poor experience for the user. And so, essentially, Facebook management was saying that we're kind of hitting this point where we can't really juice up this load anymore. We're not gonna we're not gonna make this ad load bigger than um, than really it has to be for the sake of near term profits. We're really trying to grow uh, excellent platforms here that that do things that people want, and and ads can be a part of it. Um, and and then they'll be able to really sort of integrate the best performers. Into those feeds, and so anytime you see a business like this talking about the future, and they temper growth the way that they did, I mean, it, it, it could be argued the stock had gotten maybe a little bit ahead of itself, and, and I think the market sort of corrected back a little bit sensibly. I mean, it's it's not a dirt cheap stock by any means. I mean, Facebook is a very big company today, 
And the bigger it gets, the more it has to kind of bring to the table, a la Apple or Alphabet or any of those other big companies. And the fact of the matter is, as it stands, I mean, Facebook is an ad company. I mean, that is how they make their money. Now, they make a lot of money doing it. Um, but it's not like an Amazon where Amazon is selling stuff every day, both physical and digitally consumers. And I think Facebook wants to try to get to that point too. They talk about the transactional nature of the platform and ways that they can sort of approach that. I was encouraged to see a little bit more talk of WhatsApp and Messenger regarding that. We're coming up on three years now since they've acquired WhatsApp for $22 billion. And as of today, it's still basically zero dollars in revenue. So we're going to have to see some clarity there at some point. I mean, I appreciate long term thinking, but at some point, you know, technology moves very quickly. It was a big check. It's that they conceivable wrote. that WhatsApp could be displaced or disrupted here at some point. And if that happens, then you have to say, uh oh, was that $22 billion wisely spent? So I think we'll probably see more and more in regard to WhatsApp in the coming quarters as well. I'm looking at 2017 as a potential election hangover year. Um, you look at this company really becoming the headquarters for how people view and, and read news. Uh, the Pew Research study said 44% of Americans read or watch their news on Facebook. Not entirely, but it is a platform that they turn to. Um, and I read a very interesting article in the New York Times, is published back in August, titled, Insane Facebook's parentheses, Totally Insane, Unintentionally Gigantic, Hyperpartisan, Emperancy's political media machine, talking about these people that create Facebook pages specifically to create you know content that's going to go viral, and some of these folks are making five figures a month generating this content that's then being shared by millions of people, or tens of thousands of people, then being viewed by millions of people, and so it's driving that ad revenue up in a way that I don't think is going to be there when the election is over in just one day, basically. Um, Sure, you'll have some follow through as people continue to to speak their mind about who won and who lost. But I do think that um, the election has had a very dynamic effect on overall ad generation, revenue generation, and um, it just wasn't there in 2012 because you didn't have the the election was an incumbent versus someone that didn't have quite the the uh, the draw that Donald Trump does. So um, I, I just think it's a different time than it was in 2012, and that's creating some tough comps looking ahead. I think so. When we talk about trends, as we do from time to time, and and uh, Jason, you've made the point when it comes to e-commerce, we're still in on a percentage basis, single digits. You know, seven, eight percent of global commerce is online. So, if you think that's going to grow over time, then that's potentially one mm-hmm. way to invest. Uh, here's a stat that caught my attention uh, when it comes to the trend in online advertising, because I think I think you're right, Taylor, that. It's not just going to be online spending, but certainly cable television and and radio stations and radio networks are going to have a little bit of a hangover mm-hmm. because that you know presidential elections are are a goldmine for especially them. this one. My God, yeah, especially just so compelling one. on both sides. Um, but so in terms of online spending, uh, let me just read from the Wall Street Journal, and this is uh, according to an outfit called Pivotal Research. Referring to what appears to be a a two horse race when it comes to online advertising, Facebook and Google together garnered sixty eight percent of spending in on U.S. online advertising in the second quarter, accounting for all the growth. <laughs> when excluding these two companies, revenue generated by other players in the U.S. digital ad market shrank five percent, according to the estimates of Pivotal Research. So. The growth in online ad spending 
is appears to be captured 100% by two companies. Hoover, Facebook, Hoover vacuums right yeah, there. Yeah, Facebook and Google. So invest accordingly everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the benefit with Facebook is that you have I mean, not not only do you have a number of very big networks, but I think you have, you have a management team that has I think they've set the right tone ever since the company went public. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is not only very young, um, but he, you know, he set the, he set the tone that they're very long-term thinkers there, and I think there's a lot to be said for that because it's it's one you know on, on the one end you have Wall Street and analysts really pushing to find maximum profitability today, and and they they're less sort of focused on that five-year picture, and, and on the other end you have CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, folks like that who are very interested in building. Long-lasting businesses that um, are sort of more judged by weight, so to speak, instead of sort of that near-term voting. And and I think that for our investing style, for the type of investing that we espouse, I mean, these are really attractive um, qualities to have. Because I mean, sure, we can all recognize near-term challenges, whether it's a pullback in presidential ad spend or challenges in figuring out ways to diversify revenue streams for what these businesses do. But when you have those 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 leaders that think in in such long periods of time, I mean that's how those platforms evolve. I mean that's how those new sorts of diverse revenue streams come about. So you know you typically don't want to bet against them um, because over time, that's why they're good. They continue to bring the goods. Yeah, we've seen this before where. It's it's not a zero sum game. There can be more than one winners in in a given industry. But right now, when it comes to online advertising, yeah, there's more than one winner. There are two. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look for a third. Uh, Last week, late last week, Nielsen announced cable subscriber numbers for November, and the headline out of that, even though it was for all the cable networks, the headline was very much that ESPN lost. 621,000 cable subscribers, making it the worst month in the network's history. This just continues to get worse for ESPN. And it's curious to me, um, well, I shouldn't say curious, it's getting worse for ESPN. And while I think, as we've talked about before, about how you know, let's give Disney executives, let's give Bob Iger and his team a little bit of credit and assume that they this is an issue that they're very much aware of and that they are working to solve. But what strikes me is that this comes at a time where, when you look at particularly the movie studios business, which granted doesn't fall to the bottom line in exactly the same way that the cable business does for Disney. The movie, the the movie business for Disney this year is absolutely crushing it. We've got eight weeks left to go, and right now, the four top grossing movies for 2016 are all Disney films: uh, Captain America: Civil War, Finding Dory, Zootopia, The Jungle Book. Those four films have combined for more than 4.1 billion dollars in revenue, which is a not an insignificant sum of money. Um, but clearly. Investors are looking looking past that and saying, you know what, it doesn't fall to the bottom line the way that cable does, and that's what, as much as anything, that is why Disney stock is down 10, 11 percent this year. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, it's not 
like like you said, this isn't a secret. I mean, we've known that that cord cutting, cord shaving, whatever you want to call it, is real. I mean, it's not something that's going to completely change the space one hundred percent overnight, but it it certainly is. It's it's a trend. I mean, it's kind of the way uh, future generations are going to be viewing their content. And so, as we we live in more of sort of an on demand world, I mean, I think to me, it always it always strikes me that with with ESPN, they I mean, there's such an opportunity in my eyes with with that brand to be able to utilize this over the top distribution to bring really personalized a la carte sports content to sport enthusiasts all over the world, and and. I mean, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be able to buy a season ticket to watch your favorite football team, or your favorite baseball team, or your favorite hockey team, or your favorite cricket club, whatever it may be. Um, I mean, I think that's the beauty of what they have there with that brand, and it's and they're making those early investments. I think with um, the inv- the investment in in Bam Tech. And sort of learning the benefits there of streaming um, sports content and how that can be monetized. So, sure, it, it may be a little bit. The economics may, I think, shift uh, going forward. In in they've kind of had sort of a free ride, more or less, with the cable relationship to date. But when you consider how it, I mean, how many every everybody's got a mobile phone at this point, and that's only going to continue to grow. Then, I mean, you have this opportunity really to capture every single person out there with a phone. And charge them some modest fee for whatever sporting content they really want. So if they do this right, I think there's plenty of opportunity there. I think the market is very correct in asking the questions and sort of seeing the uncertainty there. But then, by the same token, as you mentioned, Disney has a very well-rounded, sort of diversified revenue stream, and it goes even beyond the movies. I mean, we know they do very well with the parks and and consumer products. So it's it's a great business for a number of different reasons. And I suspect they're really looking long and hard, long and hard at how to um, sort of take this ESPN brand forward. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the cable networks division, about a third of overall revenue for Disney. So it's something that they certainly have to head on. But I think that Bantech and um, the money they poured into that, about a billion dollars for a third of that third of that business, I think. That's that could be a real big game changer. The Bantech stole the NHL streaming uh, from a company that I've looked at in the Canadian market, New Lion, N E U L I O N, um, as as the streaming operator. And uh, you look at the quality of MLB streaming uh, on their app, and it's just incredible compared to the the streaming I've seen elsewhere in sports. And so I think that that could be a big driver here. Maybe not immediately, but just allowing them to get that content out there across mobile devices because internet penetration worldwide just isn't. What you see in the United States and Canada and developed countries, so it is a long way away from really topping out on who's watching mobile content. And um, I, I, I really look for that Bamtech, uh, in their investment in, in that to really, really, you know, drive growth on that mobile front. Um, when you look at MLB forward thinking, they do have the option to buy a, a cheaper package for just your team. Um, so yeah, maybe you see that with with ESPN. But um, you see, Monday Night Football viewing is down, and ESPN's lost viewers the last two years, 2015 and 2016. I mean, 14 and 15. And it looks like three years in a row is coming up. So um, something's got to change. But I, I, I would keep a close eye on Bamtech because they have the option to acquire another third of that in just a couple of years. So uh, I'm a big fan of that move, a really under the radar move in my mind. Yeah, and Bamtech is supporting the 
the NFL games that Twitter is streaming this year, which I mean, if you've if you've, wa- yeah, if you've watched any of that on your phone, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal the quality. Like it's really really good. Mm-hmm. And even further, if you use the app on your TV, I mean, that's impressive. So I mean, I think we're going to see again. I mean, I think we kind of go back to this this idea that I mean, the media space is changing considerably, and we're seeing companies like Facebook and Twitter and. Uh, I mean, Google's playing a role in it as well, but I mean, they're all sort of figuring out ways to become more and more of this uh, sort of evolving media space where linear television was what we grew up on, and that was all fine and dandy. I mean, you remember how we sort of evolved? I mean, you had the you had the TV in your house, and you got maybe four channels at the most, and you had to get up and actually change the channel. Then you graduated. It was brutal. It was brutal. I mean, it was like you talk to your kids about that. And you're like, I mean, I'm trying to explain it. There, there was no internet when I was their age. And they just that's like our black and white TV, right? So, I mean, it just it's step by step by step. You see how this evolves. You got cable. You got remote controls. Now all of a sudden, you've got a TV in your pocket. Um, there is no reason why these businesses should not be able to capitalize on this, and I suspect they will. Um, but but there are a lot of hands in that sports content cookie jar, so to speak. And so it, it, the economics of it, there, there's a lot, a lot of negotiating that takes place. Let's just say we're not going to be seeing ESPN the Ocho anytime soon. <laughs> in my mind. I want the Ocho. <laughs> Shares of Fitbit and GoPro were both down big last week. GoPro down around 15 percent. Fitbit down more than 30 percent uh, on their latest results, and and a big part of it. Had to do with the fact that both companies warned that the holiday quarter was not going to be as strong as they had hoped. Who needs a holiday quarter as a, <laughs> as a consumer goods well, company? Yeah, exactly. When you're a consumer electronics, and you know, these are two companies, each of whom in the past five years has won the unofficial title of hot gadget of the holidays. You know, each of them have gotten that at least mm-hmm. once. We know they're not getting it this year. We know Samsung's not getting it this year, <laughs> so now I mean I'm I'm sort of left to wonder what is going to be the hot gadget of this year. But I, the Kodak phone, yeah, that's right, oh, that's right. That's we talked <laughs> the, about the, the Kodak. Today. God bless Kodak for trying. Six hundred euros. Right? Um, is there a danger in trying to extrapolate out of this, thinking, well, wait a minute, does like if if these two aren't going to do well. Is there a danger in extrapolating out across consumer electronics or retailers in general, or do you just sort of look at these and go, no, th- these just these just happen to be two companies that are a little bit more challenged than most? I, I think probably the latter. There, it's funny. I mean, someone pinged me on Twitter on Halloween about Fitbit and was was digging into Fitbit because he, he saw some. Encouraging signs in regard to the balance sheet and founder leaders and you know the product and sort of owning that space, and and I I mean I I I said I mean I see a lot of qualities here that sort of indicate to me this is probably a GoPro in the making, and I mean it didn't take a big leap to actually look at what's happened to GoPro and sort of see that same thing happening to Fitbit. I mean I think we took an, we took a question a few a few weeks ago in regard to a listener who's kind of looking back. At GoPro and saying, "Oh, a year ago, I was saying maybe it's time to back up the truck." And looking at a year later and saying, "Well, why that would have been a mistake." And I think one of the lessons there was sort of taking the qualities of a business like GoPro and sort of extrapolating that to businesses in the market with sort of similar qualities. And to me, Fitbit has almost the exact same qualities. I mean, it is a niche style product. It's neat at first thought. You can see where it starts to kind of lose relevance after a little while. And yeah, there's a founder-led 
culture there. And yeah, they have a healthy balance sheet, but those are those are the qualities that you like to see in a business. That doesn't make a good investment. And that's why I think people have to be very careful because if you see those two qualities, you don't want to make that automatic leap and say, oh, well, this must be a good investment because clearly, I mean, through through GoPro and Fitbit, those are those are two great examples that that's not the case. And so, you know, when you look at something like Fitbit and or GoPro, I mean, these are interesting products. It's it's not to belittle the technology, but they are niche products. And furthermore, I think that what you've seen is this initial sort of um, honeymoon is more or less over. You try to figure out how big is the actual opportunity out there, and I think that health. Is a market that certainly offers a bigger opportunity, but let's also remember. I mean, we've doubled the taxes on cigarettes, and yeah, I guess smoking is 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 down, but still, there are plenty of people out there that want to do it. So, I mean, I don't I don't know that people are necessarily that much more into their health, at least to where they want to wear a Fitbit every day and then uplink, you know, to a computer and get their data and do stuff with that data. All of that takes time, and eventually, you get sick and tired of it. So, you know, I mean, with with a business like this. You have to really go beyond just looking at what they do in the potential market opportunity there. I mean, you have to actually look at the numbers and say there are signs here that this is a business in big trouble. And I mean, it, it, you look at the book value on the balance sheet for Fitbit, and I mean, book value basically is just total assets minus intangible assets and liabilities. So when you look at Fitbit's book value, I mean, that's essentially the cash on their balance sheet and the receivables. And and that's like five dollars per share. Inventory with a company like this is more or less going to be written off down the line because it becomes obsolete. We saw the same thing happen with Leapfrog. Kind of seen the same thing happen with GoPro. So be very careful with these with these gadget companies because they make neat gadgets, but you really have to figure out a way to sort of take that next step beyond the gadget. And uh, it's it's a lot easier said than done. Well, I I also think that part of what is intriguing about these two companies for investors is that. In addition to the fact that this is neat technology, I think in in each case you have, um, and this is a little squishy, but in each case you have a great brand. It's just easy to wrap your head around it. It's like, oh, I get what that is, and then they become almost you know eponymous for what the product is. So other products, other competitors in the space are sort of defined. It's like, well, what is this thing? It's like, oh, well, it's like a Fitbit. It's like a GoPro, that kind of thing. So a great brand, and also not as crowded a space in either case, I don't think, as we saw a few years back with 3D printing. And I always remember Matt Argusinger coming back from the Consumer Electronics Show. Of, uh, was it 2013, maybe 2013 or 2014? He came back, and I said, you know, what? Give me a couple of headlines. And one of his headlines was being in the trade show area. Turning the corner, looking down an enormously long row, and on either side were just literally dozens of 3D printing companies, <laughs> and Maddie just walking down the aisle and just thinking, "Oh gosh, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Most of you aren't gonna make it." So I think in the case of Fitbit and GoPro, if if you're a shareholder. That may be some percentage of your thesis as well. It's not a super crowded space, and they do have a good brand going for them. Well, there's two things that I see. One in the near term is that both of them blame production issues, uh, and you're you're dealing with less than a handful of SKUs per company. So, I mean, they're not an Apple with 17 different phones, different size iPads, different size computers. 
they make a few different cameras and they make a few different bracelets that monitor your, tra- your footsteps. And if they can't get that together ahead of the busiest quarter for them in the whole year, that's a little worrying near term. And then long term, Fitbit blamed uh, the lack of ad support on decreased sales in its legacy products and said basically saying that these products aren't good enough to sell themselves. They need to go out and continually dump marketing dollars on products that people should know about in order to sell them. And that's just a cycle that that shouldn't continue if, if the product is out there doing what it's supposed to do. There's there's competitors out there that can't do what it's doing. Um, and so if they have to continue to allocate some of their some of their sales budget to marketing on this, I just think that that's a, a wheel that you just can't stop turning. And I, I say this all the time, and it's it's never a surefire, but I, it's always kind of one of those things that I do is I look to my kids to kind of see the things that they're interested in, the things that their friends are interested in, and and that just kind of gives me one more thing to consider in in looking at things like these. And I, I remember quite well talking to both daughters about Fitbits, and is that something they might like? It, it it wasn't even up for debate. It was like, nope. They're like, <laughs> we have we have some friends who had them, and you know they wore them for like a month, and then they end up in the, in the drawer in the kitchen or the bedside table, having spoken with a couple of parents, said the same thing. They're like, yep, not going to waste any, money, any more money on one of those. And so, I mean, that's not to say that's what the overall market says, but I mean, to Taylor's point, yeah, these things obviously aren't selling themselves, and it sounds like the expectations. For this holiday season, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 35% growth versus like three to five percent that they lobbed up for guidance. Yeah, it was 30% for Fitbit year over year, and so, now it's basically flat. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not to say that they can't turn things around and become a better business. And, and to be sure, I think the CEO is trying to sort of rebrand the company as sort of a health um, a healthcare sort of data style company. But you, in order to collect that data, you need the, the gadget. And it doesn't sound like people are really interested in wearing the gadgets, and that could be kind of the rub right there. Tomorrow, November 8th, at long last, it's Election Day here (laughs) in the United States of America. And here's the good news. There are a bunch of companies looking to capitalize and get you through the door. They want you to get out and vote, and then they want you to come to their place of business. So, here are a few of the special offers that are going on tomorrow. And I think we got to check some of these out. Krispy Kreme is offering a free donut to anyone who walks in with an I voted sticker. Because I know you can't just have only one. Right. That's <laughs> exactly. That's you it. Chase it they down know. with the brew. And, uh... Exactly. It's like, no, 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 go. I like to think that that came up when, when they were proposing this. Yeah, you know that there was someone who was like, we're going to give away a free donut. Oh, come on. You know. You know they can't just eat. They're going to spend money. Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. Here's a free donut. Oh, you don't want any coffee? You don't want 11 more donuts to go with it? Uh, 7-Eleven is offering a free cup of coffee. Um, here's uh, This might be my favorite. <laughs> White Castle, the burger chain, is offering a free gallon of iced tea with the purchase of a Crave case. Now, <laughs> there are no White Castles in the area, so I had to look up what a Crave case is. You know what? Let's bring in our man Dan Boyd from the other side of the glass. Dan, uh, have you ever been to a White? I've I've never actually been to a White Castle before. I I always think of them as a New Jersey company, um, but. Uh, 
I don't think there are any in the greater DC area. They sell them in the freezer, the frozen food section. Right. No. no yeah. No. I, I know that they they put stuff in grocery stores, but I'm thinking just in terms. Yeah. Of no. Like, no storefronts that I can imagine. That I, I can think yeah. Of. I can't say I've ever been to White Castle. Uh, Dan, have you ever been to a White Castle before? No, I have not. Um, would you care to guess how many of their signature uh, slider burgers come in a Crave case? Uh, let's go with uh, five. 30. 30. <laughs> you're were, you were only off by a factor of six. Yes, wow. 30. So if, you, if you're in the mood for 30 of White Castle's burgers on election day, guess what? You get a free gallon of iced tea. I bought one of those in Vegas one time. What does it take? A crave case? <laughs> yeah. How many people were you with? Uh, Did you a eat handful? it all by yourself? <laughs> I, I, like should, I should have. I that's, that's one of those things that probably should have stayed in <laughs> Vegas. Right. It, pro- it probably should have. What uh, does it take to get you? I mean, like, if there's one thing out there, you're, you're saying, okay, you guys are going to give me that, I'm, I'm going. Like, most places, I don't really, like, I don't need, you don't need to dangle the carrot to get me to go vote. I just, you know, yeah. I want to go do it. Yeah. Um, but, all, but, all things being equal, if, if there's someone out there saying, hey, Go vote. Bring us your your I voted sticker, and we'll give you blank. What's tickling your fancy? I so I think for me it would need to be something that I'm sort of on the fence on, or that I'm not like I. You know, there's a Seven Eleven a couple of blocks from here. I might just walk over there tomorrow and get it's like Seven Eleven has pretty decent coffee. So and if it's free, uh, it's even better. Yeah. So I might I might get that. So that that's not and. Lord knows if there were Krispy Kreme nearby, I would I would do the exact same thing. <laughs> so for me, it would have to be something that I was on the fence about, and for and and just generally, I'm thinking of any sort of uh, healthy something, like if there was a smoothie place or something like that. I'm not really one of those people, but it's like, all right, it's a free smoothie. Okay, yeah, here's my I voted sticker. How about which, the Jangler, which was <laughs> a little oh, chicken biscuit. Definitely get absolutely a spicy chicken yeah. biscuit. Absolutely. What I'd about be all right with that? Are Even there just any the biscuit that uh, give out free beers. That's what I have. with I voted stickers because that's Ooh. that's what I'm interested in. Uh, there does not appear to be. So uh, this is a USA Today article. Uh, does not appear to be any free beer being offered, or if they <laughs> are, they're keeping it pretty quiet. Well, maybe our listeners might know a thing or two and can. Tweet us and let us know if there's any Absolutely. Places. If there's any, because some of these are national. But Hopefully in the Alexandria, Virginia area, <coughs> Port City. Uh, so, so some of them are, some of them on this list are local. So, for example, in Dallas, there's a restaurant called Henry's Majestic. Um, and starting at, at 11 a.m., not p.m., when the polls close on <laughs> across most of the United States, but starting at 11 a.m., cocktails. Uh, are going to be just $2 at Henry's Majestic in Dallas. So there's a little something for our, our dozens in Dallas. It's a model that most people could copy. They could they could replicate that around the country. Absolutely. Uh there's a there's a place in um Louisiana, I think, called uh the Association, same thing, drink specials. So yeah, I'm sure that wherever you live there's probably some place in your city or your town that's that's got some little something. So look for it. There's got to be something. Why not? Because you know, to your point, Jason. Yeah, get out and vote. Sure. You should vote. Why not? It, you if, only get to do it once every four years. Well, for a presidential for a presidential election. election yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's one way I always think about it is it's uh, 
you know, you have to renew your driver's license. Sure. Uh, this is renewing your license to complain. Hey guys, everybody, if, seriously, when you let's just mind if you little, don't vote, don't complain. Don't complain exactly. I'm all for that. And just a little pet peeve here or something. I could just get this out there on your radar. All right. Tonight, when you go home, just use a little Google Foo, get in there and figure out what's on the ballot tomorrow. And have all your votes laid out and ready to go. So when you go into the ballot box tomorrow, you know everybody's got their own little measures they're voting on and whatnot, depending on the locality. Yeah. That way you're just you're an educated voter. You go in there, you boom, boom, boom. You knock it out. Knock you're it right out. Googling there. in the ballot box. Yeah. See, <laughs> let's keep that line moving. There's nothing worse worse than going to a restaurant and the person in front of you has never been there before. And they don't know what the, the menu <laughs> yeah. looks like. And you're just like, just order a cheeseburger. Please, yeah. for God's sake, just order a cheeseburger. It's the same thing at the polling places. We'll wrap up there. Taylor right. Muckerman, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by restaurant connoisseur Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.